Second Kings chapter 7. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come, and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. And let's just move to the, to the last three verses, or four verses rather, to verse 17. After this, the, 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 the king and the, the people, they, they go out and they spoil the tents of the Syrians. And then verse 17 and the king appointed the Lord in whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate, and the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died, as the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him. And it came to pass, as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel, and a measure of fine flour for a shekel, shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria." And that Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such a thing be. And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. And so it fell out unto him, for the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us. Let's, let's call on his name in prayer. Let's pray. Our great and our glorious Lord God, we do give thanks this morning for the Word of God. 
that that word is perfect, that that word is tried in a furnace seven times. It is pure, it is perfect from beginning to end, and not one word of it has failed or shall ever fail. We pray, Lord, this morning that our confidence and our faith would be strengthened in both the the truth of thy word and how sufficient it is, and that we would be able in our own capacities to proclaim it fully, faithfully, with the same authority that Elisha spoke when he said, hear the word of the Lord. May we hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. Bless this place, Lord. Bless those who work, the, the staff, the students. Bless each and all. Keep, we pray, protect and provide. And we ask this all for Jesus' sake. Amen. The words of verse 9 of this chapter, then said, they said one to another, we do not well, this day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. Dear friends, the the prophet Elisha is a, certainly a most interesting prophet. Uh, he, we find ourselves drawn to him. Often we find ourselves drawn to what is spectacular in Elisha. There are many fascinating miracles that he performs. There is the floating of the axe head. There is the death in the pot. There is the leading of a whole army by this one man into another city. We find Elisha in different contexts. We find him sometimes with the kings and the captains and the great people, as, it, as the world would see it at least. And yet other times we find him with the poor widow. And, and so Elisha is a, a very uh, attractive car- uh, prophet. Uh, we are drawn to what's spectacular. But when you, when you look at the prophet Elisha, you find this one common theme that really goes through the whole of his ministry. And it's this, that the Lord Jehovah alone is God. And his word is always to be believed. The Lord God, Jehovah, he is God, and his word is always to be believed. Elisha is his prophet. Elisha is the messenger of grace. In contradistinction to all the false prophets and all the false dreams and all the bad advice, the word of the Lord that he speaks, or the word that he speaks, is indeed the word of the living God. The test and the proof that Elisha is a prophet of the Lord you have in Deuteronomy 18 Uh, 21 and 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing follows not, if it doesn't come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. And, And the opposite therefore is true too, when the prophet speaks and when the thing does come to pass, the prophet is a prophet of the Lord. And so that's an important thing to bear in mind when we come to Elisha at any point, and certainly at this point here. You look at this situation here in in chapter 6 and 7, and you see that the, the situation is desperate. 
there's famine, and there is war. And as you know, both these things speak of God's displeasure. We're in the land of promise, the land that flows with milk and honey, the land that, that uh, is, a, is, is the rest to the people of the Lord. And yet, as the Lord had said to Moses also in Deuteronomy, that if you will not serve the Lord, if you will turn away and go to other gods, then these are the things that I will come and do. And if you would go to Deuteronomy 28, you would find to, to the detail the word of the Lord coming true. This is what I'll do, says the Lord, if you don't serve me, I will besiege your gates. This is what will happen when, I, when the enemy besieges your gates. You will eat the fruit of your own body, verse 53 of Deuteronomy 28. You will eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and daughters. And that's exactly what we see in, in chapter 6. Here's, the, here's ben, uh, King Ben-Hadad of Syria, and here's a great famine, and here's the result, absolute desperation, despair, uh, a donkey's head worth 80 shekels, an extortionate amount of money, huge, impossible inflation, uh, mothers killing their own children for food, absolutely desperate. And into that context comes the word of the Lord through Elisha. Chapter 7, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Isn't it a wonderful thing to have a thus saith the Lord? At all times, but especially into this kind of context. And the word of the, the Lord here, this prophecy is stunning. Tomorrow, about this time, Roughly 24 hours shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Stunning. In 24 hours, he is saying, the situation will not only change, but so drastically change that we will move from the worst economic situation we have ever seen to the best we have ever seen in 24 hours. And for some, this is simply too good to be true. And one of the king's courtiers here scoffs at this promise and says, this is absolutely ridiculous. This cannot be. If the Lord would make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? A possible polemic here uh, against um, Baal, as you know, is the one who had windows in heaven and would, uh, uh, would shoot down lightning or something like that from, from his window. But, but this is not Baal we're talking about. This is the Lord. This is Jehovah. And here the scoffer says, might this be? And I think the question that immediately comes to us is, where do we stand in relation to the word of God? Before we throw stones at this courtier of the king, are there not times when, when we doubt the word of the Lord because we just don't see how it can possibly happen? Do we not doubt the Word of God because we think it's simply too good to be true? Every time I have stood at a gravesite and spoken of the resurrection, this thought has come into my own mind, is this really true? Can this possibly be true? Behold, there is an echo almost. If the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? 
that Christ would come in, in great glory with all the holy angels and but speak the word and all these graves will open. Do we not have these kinds of doubts with the gospel promises? Maybe with our family and our congregations. Uh, can it possibly, is, we're praying, we're pleading with children or members in our families or our congregations and the situation seems desperate. And the word of the Lord is coming and it's saying in the gospel, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will be like the wool. And yet how do people react to this great gospel promise? Can it really be true? So do you stand with Elijah and believe that every word God speaks is true? Or are you really saying this is too good to be true? If the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? Really, I think that's the central point of this passage. I think it's the central point of the whole ministry of Elijah. Indeed, it's the central point of all true religion. Do you believe the word of God to be true? But one lesson that is certainly coming off the pages here is this. The word of God is always to be relied upon, no matter the circumstances. The word of God is always to be relied upon, no matter the circumstances. It's a wonderful thing, as we said, that this word comes, thus saith the Lord. We need it as ministers of the gospel, as as professors here as students here we need to go back to this word of god we need to hear before we say it to others we need to hear it hear the word of the lord and there's something so incredibly settling about it just to hear uh, the father's voice in this context the word of god has been challenged it's been defied but you notice how repeatedly in this chapter you, you have this refrain that everything is happening according to the word of the Lord. Here is really the answer to the challenge, as it were. Verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. At the end of verse 16, so a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. The same at the end of verse 17. Everything happened. The man who, who mocked, he, he was trod upon, he died as the man of God had said. And verse 18, it came to pass as the man of God had spoken to the king. Everything here is happening according to the word of God. God speaks the word. He commands and it stands fast. He brings the counsel of the heathen to nothing. The counsel of the Lord stands forever and his thoughts to all generations. And again, friends, is this the confidence you have in the word of God? Or let's put it like this. What is more real to you this morning? The circumstances that you can see or the word of God, which we cannot see. It's a word. I think that's what Hebrews, 1 is ask, uh, Hebrews 11 is asking. What is more real to us? The things that we see around us? Or, or the word that, we, that created the things we see around us? The circumstances which seem so real? Or the word that is coming to us? 
And if the word is real to us, we will respond appropriately. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 14, 2, gives us the, the appropriate response or responses to the word of God. We will yield obedience to the commands. We will tremble at the threatening. We will embrace the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. And here in this passage, you see, you see two things at the same time. You see both the threatening and you see the promise. And often Scripture holds these things together to show the contrast between the two, to show that there's really no middle ground. That it's either we, we believe the promise or we, or, or we have the, uh, the threat. The promise of deliverance in this passage came true to the detail. In 24 hours, the famine was gone. The Syrians were gone. And food was enjoyed again, just as the word of God said. And in 24 hours, the threatening also came true. The king's servant saw the people rush towards the food, but he did not eat it himself and was trampled upon, just as the word of God had said. So the application is clear. The word is always to be spoken as it is given. It is to be believed. It demands faith and it demands the appropriate response. But I want to notice here too something else, and it's this, that, that God often uses weakest means to fulfill his purposes. I don't know about you, but that's certainly encouraging to me. The Lord often uses the weakest means to fulfill his purposes. It's remarkable. The challenge to the word of God was this. If the Lord could make, would make windows in heaven, if he would do something spectacular and make windows in heaven, might this prophecy come true? But you see, it's as though the Lord is saying, I don't need to make windows in heaven to deal with the Syrians. I am the Lord. I am the one who sits on the circle of the earth and the inhabitants are but grasshoppers in my sight. Uh, they are, the, the nations are as a small drop of the bucket and counted as the small dust of the balance. I take up the aisles as a very little thing. This is easy for the Lord. And look at the weapons he uses. A noise and four pitiful, starving lepers. Weakest means fulfill thy will, mighty enemies to still. Psalm 8. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and to 29, he speaks about God using what? The foolish things, the base things, the weak things to confound the mighty. Why? So that no flesh would glory in his presence. Look at the weapons the Lord uses. A noise and four lepers. Don't you love that? He uses a noise to, to, to rid the Syrian army. Verse 6 here. The Lord made the host of the Syrians to hear, not chariots, but the noise of chariots, and the noise of horses, and the noise of a great host. And they say one to another, it's the Hittites, it's the, it's the, the Egyptians, and they run and they flee and... No swords, no fight, no blood, 
and yet no victory more complete. What power is in the word of Jehovah? And the people inside the city, it appears, didn't hear a thing. I can imagine Elisha sleeping very soundly. Outside the gate, the wicked flee when no man pursues. So a noise, and then four lepers. Now the point of this, pa- this passage is that the word of the Lord is always to be believed, trusted in, no matter the circumstances. But these lepers uh, teach us uh, many things, and God is using them to fulfill his purposes. The, the Lord, you remember in Luke 16, speaks of the unjust steward, and, and says that the unjust steward did wisely, And he said, then the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Uh, These lepers here, they're ceremonially unclean. That's why they're outside the gate. They almost certainly did not hear the word that Elisha spoke in verse 1. They don't have, as it were, in their hands or in their ears the word of God, yet they're acting wiser than the king who's inside, wanting to take off the head of Elisha. These lepers face imminent death. Death is staring staring them in the face. If things are desperate and they're almost completely out of food, inside the gate, outside the the gate, they have absolutely nothing. The few scraps that they may have been thrown initially have dried up. They're in a miserable condition. They have leprosy. They're starving. But look at how they reason. In the middle of verse 3, they say one to another, "Why why do we sit here until we die? If we go into the city, if we break the law and go into the city, well, there's no food there and we'll die there. If we stay where we are, we're going to die. So now they say, so they weigh up these options. And they conclude that option one and option two, to go into the city and break the law or to stay here, both these options are certain death. But now they begin to reason with themselves, is there not another way? Is there not an option three? Is there not some way to stay alive? uh, Some way to get life in the midst of this certain death. And so they reason, let's go to the camp of the Syrians. Let's go to King Ben-Hadad and throw ourselves upon his sovereignty and upon his mercy and maybe, maybe, perhaps... He will have mercy upon us. He'll look at at our leprous condition, how shriveled up we are, how hungry, hungry we are. The chances seem so pitifully small, but perhaps he'll throw us a bone. Perhaps he'll have pity upon us. Every other option is certain death. Jonathan Edwards, in a sermon on this, on this text, lifts this doctrine He says, a possibility of being saved is much to be preferred to the certainty of perishing. A possibility of being saved is much to be preferred to the certainty of perishing. Now, the the thing, brothers, sisters, here is that in our congregations, we have people who camp out in option two. 
People who are saying, we're not going anywhere, I'm unconverted, the Lord hasn't worked in my life, I know I'm without without God, I'm spiritually starving, but there's nothing that can be done about it. If the Lord might make windows in heaven, then the thing will be, but until he does, I'm staying here. And the message that we must come, even with the wisdom of these lepers, is this, that is certain death. Option two is, is, will perish. Edwards says here, you will certainly perish if you continue in any known way of sin. You will certainly perish if you seek salvation and then stop. You will certainly perish if you are careless about religious duty. You will certainly perish if you trust in your own righteousness. You will certainly perish if you argue with God. And, I, and we would add here, you will certainly perish if you are saying, well, God must do it and I'm staying here with option two. Because God won't do it if that's our attitude. Edward says God won't force men into heaven that don't seek to go there. He won't bestow salvation upon them that don't think it worth praying for and inquiring after. God will not be mocked. These lepers then are more wise in their generation than the children who have the light of the word of God. And so they go on to to option three. You can well imagine this. Out they go in the twilight, hobbling up to the camp. The heart's pounding. You go first. No, you go first. No, no, you go first. And they get to the outer part of the camp and no man there. And they go into the, the, the tent and the food's there and it's still warm and they begin to eat. And they find silver and gold and then they they go to the next tent and the next tent and they do the same thing, more gold. Hide the gold, hide the silver, more food, eat more food. And they keep doing it on and on, more food, more gold, more food. Some people think this is Gehazi and his sons. We don't want to digress here, but I'll, I'll leave that for your your own consideration. But, but you see what's wrong with this situation. Eating the food to start with was not wrong, but continuing to gorge yourselves. And verse 9, they say one to another, we do not well. This is a day of good tidings, and, and we're saying nothing. And so they go back to the king's household. We do not well. Talk about an understatement. People are starving to death in the city. Mothers are killing their children out of sheer desperation and hunger. And they're gorging themselves on food. We do not well. Well, I think we see the lesson, do we not? Can we not say in a far greater way, this is a day of good tidings? This is a day of full and great salvation. This is a gospel day. Don't we go from tent to tent, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, eating the pure milk of the Word, the finest of the wheat, a bountiful supply, bread of heaven, a feast of fat things? Don't we feast in the, in the doctrine of Christ and salvation and redemption, and rightly so, and justification and adoption and sanctification and glorification and resurrection? Don't we have a feast, a banquet, Lord's Day by Lord's Day? But ought not our consciences to prick and say, we do not well. Not because we are eating the food, but because we're not telling others. Poor sinners living beside us, starving spiritually to death, and we are hoarding. Or do we have a spirit that says, there is food and to spare here. Come, this is a day of good tidings. Let us learn from these lepers. 
We have so much more than they did. We have the word of God itself. We are to trust that word in every situation. We are to respond appropriately to that word. Edward says the possibility of salvation is better than the certainty of death. That's very true. There's a possibility of, of salvation, he says, for very great sinners, old sinners, those seeking a long time but not there yet, those who submit to God's sovereignty. There's a possibility. But, friends, can we not say a whole lot more? Is the glory of the gospel not that there is a possibility of salvation, but there is salvation, full and free in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That is the glory of the gospel. That we're not proclaiming possibilities to men. We are, we're holding out the, the, the person who said, I am the bread of life. He that comes and eats of me will never hunger. He that comes to me I will never cast away. Come, buy, eat milk and wine without money and without price. You're not casting yourself upon some tyrannical king in the gospel. You, it's the scepter of Christ that is held out to you. Kiss the sun and come, eat and drink. Tell it far and near. Tell it in the highways and byways. This is a day of good tidings. And the encouragement for us is this. Weakest means fulfill God's will. I feel weak. No doubt you feel weak. Uh, and, the, uh, and the means that we use, the preaching of the word, the proclamation of the word, and how the temptation comes, can the preaching of the gospel how can that transform the culture? Might this really be? But that, that is what God is saying. Through the foolishness of preaching, I will save those who believe. And the, what is this foolishness of preaching? It's the foolishness of the cross. The foolishness of the blood of Christ that cleanses. The, the, the cross that seems so weak, such a contemptible thing. How can that produce such an effect not just in 24 hours but immediately to the person who trusts in it weakest means fulfill thy will so dear friends here here is our mantra come for all things are now ready there is a banquet in the gospel for the worst of sinners for all sinners feast on this christ as he holds himself out in the gospel this is a day of good tidings. Let us respond appropriately.